The newspaper USA Today took a survey, did a poll, and in this poll they suggested to people, what if you had a chance to ask God a question or to have an interview with God? What would you like to ask God? Kind of an interesting thing to poll people about. It was interesting that the highest percentage, just more than a third of people who were asked that question, if you could get in contact directly with God and ask Him a question and get a, get a reply right back from God, what would you ask Him? A little better than a third of the people said they would like to ask, what is my purpose here? The second highest ranking question was, will I have life after death? Now that's kind of interesting to know that that's what people would ask God if they had a chance to ask Him. I believe it's interesting to note that the answers to those questions are already available. We wouldn't have to have a special interview with God to be able to know the answers to those questions. They're found in His Word. But underlying that, basically, I think, is the question that is on a lot of people's mind. Basically, what does God really want from me? Uh, what should I be doing? What does He expect of me? What would it take to please God? Why am I here? That sort of notion. And so for a few minutes this morning, what we'd like to do is ask that question. What does God really want from me? What would He expect me to be doing? Before we get into that study, we stop here for just a minute to say thank you for everyone who's present. The sun has popped out. It's a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. And we have the great opportunity to be together to worship God. And we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. Thanks for your presence this morning. As always, we want to emphasize that we're open to your questions. We would be anxious to help with Bible study. If there's anything that we can do to be of assistance to you, please let us know so that we can get involved in helping uh, you in the ways that you need. Thank you for being here this morning. What does God really want? I'd, I'd like to suggest that there are two broad views of this, probably a, a, an entire spectrum in between, but really two big ideas that are manifested in the religious world concerning what God really wants. One of those views is that God doesn't really care what you do. The specifics of what you do don't matter. What you really need to do is just have uh, a sincere heart. Uh, and so, what about that? What would you think of the view which says, don't worry about the details. Just make sure your heart is devoted to God. That's a very popular idea. I know you will agree with me that uh, dating several decades back to the so-called ecumenical movement, the idea was... You pursue religion however you want, and let me pursue religion however I want, because really, it doesn't matter. The details don't pertain, and God isn't interested in that. What He really wants is a sincere heart. And that, of course, has uh, led to the foundation of all kinds of human religious organizations. And there are so many churches today that you can hardly get an accurate count of how many various denominational churches there are. So one view is that. Just make sure your heart is sincere. What you do in, in particular doesn't matter. Now, sort of the far opposite view of that is that what you really need to do is concentrate on the outward deeds. I mean, make that your main emphasis. Make sure that you keep all of the rules. Make sure that you can do exactly everything and check it off Make sure that you have accomplished every rule in the Scripture. 
And the main thing is what you do outwardly. Keep the rules. Make sure the commands are met. Now, I don't know very many people who would say that. I think there are a lot of people who probably believe that and try to put it into practice. It was certainly a prevalent view in the day of Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees that Jesus dealt with so frequently and condemned so vociferously were very much about rule-keeping. They want to make sure they could keep all the rules. And so we want to look at that idea too. Now, as I said, I believe that these two notions are polar opposites of one another. And which one would you think is right? Well, let's look at them both. Let's start with this one. That specific deeds don't matter so long as your heart is sincere. What about that? Would that be the right approach? I want to take you back to that episode that Monty read for us just a few moments ago in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You'll recall that the ark of God had been away. And it had been stored at a man's house. And, and David and the rest of Israel realized that guy is really prospering because the ark is at his house. We'd like to have it back home so we could all prosper by being in the vicinity of, of this special religious object under the Old Testament law. You remember when God gave the law to Moses? He gave special instructions concerning the construction of the ark. We sometimes call it the ark of the covenant. It was basically a very elaborate box overlaid in gold. Inside it were special artifacts of the children of Israel and their relationship with God, uh, the tables of stone upon which were carved the Ten Commandments, uh, some of the manna that God had fed them through the wilderness, Aaron's rod that budded. This was a special thing, this Ark of the Covenant. It so happened that when God told them how to make it, He also told them how to transport it. When this box was made, it was constructed with rings in the four corners and then long staves or rods would be passed through there and you could pick it up. You could pick the Ark of the Covenant up without ever touching it because it was forbidden for humans to touch that Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that was in the law of Moses. And so they want to transport this Ark of the Covenant. What are they going to do? It says, They set the Ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Well, I hope you recognize immediately that there's a problem in doing specifically what God said to do concerning transporting that ark. Now, they're not trying to be disrespectful in this at all, I don't think. Notice, they didn't just take some, some old common farm cart. They didn't take something that had been used yesterday to haul manure out of the stable. They, they, they had a new cart. This was a new cart. And they set the ark of God on a new cart, but that's not the way God said to do it. I don't believe that they're trying to be disrespectful here. I don't think, I don't think that this represents that they had a bad attitude, do you? But it's not what God said to do. And so they proceed to try and move the ark. But already specifics have been violated. Well, when they came to Nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. We all know the story about Uzzah, how he reached up to touch the ark of the covenant. But again, I, I would identify that as a sincere act. I mean, they're going across this rough place at this threshing floor, and the thing is wobbling back and forth, and man, it could come off of this cart. It could crash to the ground and be destroyed. And, and Uzzah, I think, in all sincerity, reaches up to prevent that from happening. Again, I don't think it's a, a, a representation of a bad attitude on his part. I think he's got a good heart in the matter. He wants to save that thing. It's very special. 
But again, the specific was, don't touch it. And he did. And God struck him dead. Now, what conclusion would you draw just from that one episode? What conclusion would you draw about this approach which says, the specifics don't matter, just have a good heart? Doesn't seem to fit there, does it? Doesn't seem to fit with Uzzah. I think he had a good heart, but he violated the specifics and God punished him there. We could take this to the New Testament, a very familiar passage, part of which constitutes one of our memory verses. Matthew 7, beginning verse 21. Jesus said, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We have pointed out many times when we've looked at this passage that Jesus is not talking about non-religious people. He's not talking about atheists or unbelievers or doubters or skeptics. He's talking about people who call Him Lord. And so we would say, certainly, He's talking about believers. Furthermore, He's not just talking about believers who don't do anything. Notice, he's, they, they would say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name, and in Thy name cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works. And so these people not only were believers, but they were religiously active believers. The problem was, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Other versions will use uh, a term like lawlessness there. And so the problem, although these people believed in Jesus and were religiously active, the problem, as Jesus describes what will happen in the judgment, is Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they were doing their religious work without authority. They were lawless. They were workers of iniquity. They weren't following divine authority. What did God really want from them? God wants those who do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Do you see it? And so, there again, I think we have confirmed from the very words of Jesus that this approach is not the right one. The approach which says, just have a good, sincere heart. Don't worry about the details. Don't pay attention to the specifics. I think we can show very easily that that just doesn't fit up well at all with what we read in the pages of Scripture. Well, if that's not the right way, then what does God really want? Well, maybe then God wants us to go about it this way. Just concentrate exclusively on the outward deeds and the, the rule-keeping. Maybe that will do it. Again, I think there are very few people who would actually express it in this way, but I'm concerned that some people maybe believe this, that being a Christian and pleasing God is sort of a checklist sort of thing. And then if you can accumulate enough merit points, you know, it's sort of like a merit system. And if you can accumulate enough merit points, then you get to go to heaven. And you get merit points, by the way, uh, uh, by t- doing things like going to church regularly, uh, uh, giving of your money, uh, reading your Bible, and so forth and so on. Now, please understand, we're not diminishing the importance of attending regularly, contributing generously, uh, reading your Bible faithfully. We're not diminishing the importance of that, but what we're saying is that maybe some people get the idea that if I do that, and if I, if I can just check everything off my list, you know, and if I can rack up my points, I'll get to go to heaven in that way. Basically, it's an, uh, uh, an emphasis on outward performance and, and maybe no real concern about where's my heart in all of this. 
What about that? Would that work? Could you please God that way? Well, I don't think so. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, beginning, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. Now, remember, Isaiah lived centuries before Jesus, seven centuries before Jesus. Isaiah lived, and he's quoting Isaiah, and Jesus said, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, get this. It was a problem in Isaiah's day, because Isaiah spoke about it, it was clearly a problem in Jesus' day because he quoted Isaiah on that. I think it's a problem in our time too. These people would make an outward show of their devotion to the Lord. Notice, they drew nigh to Him with their mouth, honored Him with their lips. But what was their problem? Their problem is their heart. Their heart's not in it. Their heart is far from me. And so if our heart is not in it, God is not going to be pleased with us. Even if you're doing the right things, but your heart is not in it, God is not going to be pleased with you. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus makes an interesting statement to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now, again, we've described this passage before, and I think it really makes the point we're trying to emphasize right now. How careful were the Pharisees in keeping the rules? They were so careful about it that they would pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. You, you recognize those to be just herbs, right? Garden herbs. How many herbs do you grow in a year? Well, those of you who have garden, uh, gardens probably don't even bother to grow herbs because you can buy them so cheaply at the grocery store in those little bottles. I remember my mom used to have those little spice jars uh, in the pantry. And they'd be there for years. Just a tiny little bit will last forever, you know, of, of these kinds of spices. And so if you were going to grow in your garden some garden herbs, you, a, harv- a whole harvest for a year might be a handful. But these Pharisees were so careful about the tithing law of the Old Testament. Remember, the Jews of the Old Testament were required to give a tenth of their produce. And so they had a handful of these herbs. They'd divide it up in ten parts and give a tenth to the Lord. Now, were they careful about keeping the rules? They were very careful about keeping the rules. Jesus didn't condemn them for that, by the way. He didn't say, that's just foolishness. Stop wasting your time with keeping rules like that. He did not condemn them for keeping that rule. But what did he say? They had omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Judgment, mercy, and faith, where's that? That's in the heart, right? And so these Pharisees were very careful about keeping the outward acts, but their hearts weren't right. And Jesus said, these you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. He said, I'm not telling you to stop tithing your herbs. But I'm telling you, you need to get your heart involved in it. That's what Jesus was saying there. And so from those considerations, again, I think we can point out that this approach doesn't work either. Just concentrating on the rules, on the outward performance, that doesn't get the job done either. And so what are we going to say? What does God really want from us anyway? I'm going to suggest to you that since neither one of those two opposite extremes gets the job done, that the answer is a balance, a blend, a combination of both. Yes, do the right things outwardly, but make sure your heart is sincere too. We've got to, com- we got to combine 
those concepts to get what God really wants. God wants a balance of the two. You know, that's really not too surprising. Uh, that's the same sort of thing that, that we would want, wouldn't we? Uh, let me let me suggest this. Here's this fella. He's married to this woman, uh, and he is one of those guys who just all the time talking about how much he loves his wife. He tells everybody how much he loves his wife. He tells his wife how much he loves. Oh man, I love you. I love you. I love you more than anything in the world. He's talking about his love for his wife all the time. But the problem with this guy is that he won't work. He's just a lazy bum. He won't get out and earn a living. And so his wife and his children are at home with no food to eat and the house is falling down around them and he won't do any. But man, he says, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. He talked about it all the time. They didn't do anything. Alright, so there's one extreme. Would a wife be happy with a husband like that? No, a wife doesn't want a husband like that, right? Alright, now here's the other extreme. Here's this husband and he actually tells his wife, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you. But I'm going to keep, you know, we, we've, we've, got, we've got our kids and we've got our house and we've got our life. And I'm going to keep going out and earning a living. And I'll bring the paycheck home and we'll stay together and uh, we'll raise the kids. We'll pay the bills. But you have to know, I don't love you anymore. Now, what wife would like a deal like that? No one, no wife wants to deal like that either, right? He's doing the right things, but he says his heart's not in it. What does a wife want anyway? A wife wants both. She wants her husband to love her and tell her so, but she wants him to do the right things too, right? It takes a combination to please a wife. Not too surprising. What does it take to please God? God wants that too. He wants our hearts in it. But he wants us to do the right thing as well. It takes a combination. Actually, uh, we should not be surprised to draw that conclusion. It's really a common sense one. And I think we can demonstrate from Scriptures this is what God wants. Look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10, beginning verse 12. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Wait a minute. That's our question, isn't it? What doth the Lord our God require of thee? That's almost verbatim what we're asking this morning. He says, uh, to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Well, what does God want? Well, He wants matters of the heart addressed, right? To fear Him, to love Him with all the heart, with all the soul. He wants our hearts involved. But notice, to... Also, to walk in all His ways, to serve, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes. Looks to me like God wants both, doesn't it? He wants our hearts, and He wants us to do the right things. Or how about the famous words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Well, that's what we want. Give us the, give us the bottom line, Solomon. What God want, any? What does God really want from us? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Well, there's the heart. You've got to fear God. There's doing the right things. Keep His commandments. And so, again, I think this is the right answer. It takes a blending, a combination, a balance, a deeply devoted and sincere heart, but also doing the things that God said to do in the way that He said to do them. 
to me, that's an inescapable conclusion. What I'd like to do for just a few minutes is make a couple of applications to that. You know, application is what really matters. We can get, we can have the concept, we've got to make the application. I, I, I sort of relate this back to when we were in grade school, you know, we, we had all those arithmetic and subtraction and multiplication and division problems. And then at the end of all that, they put the story questions. <laughs> you hate the story questions where you had to make application of the, of the principles. Well, let's make application of these principles. Let's talk about the subject of salvation. What could be more important? What, what more important question could be asked? What must I do to be saved? Well, it takes a sincere heart. We've already shown from the Scriptures God wants our heart. Uh, it's absolutely essential. But it's not enough by itself. We need acts of obedience as well. Salvation is based upon a sincere heart that demonstrates acts of obedience. Look in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. You remember when the rich young ruler came to talk to Jesus? A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. And so his question was about, Inheriting eternal life. And Jesus started the answer by saying, well, you got to keep the commandments, you know. And the fellow said, well, I've done that. I've kept the commandments. I've been doing that. But notice as the text goes on, now when Jesus heard these things, He said to him, yet lackest thou one thing. So to a guy who had been keeping the commandments, Jesus said, you're still lacking one thing. What was it? Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. What was his problem? It wasn't about keeping the rules. He said, I've been doing the rules. What was the problem? His heart. He wasn't devoted in his heart. He was more devoted to his wealth than he was to the Lord. And that was the problem. And so, you see there that it took... in order. Jesus, Jesus had asked the question, what do you do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commands... Now remember, he was still talking to this man under the Mosaic dispensation. But his answer was, keep the commands, but you've got to have your heart in it as well. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says of the Romans, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Notice, their obedience from the heart. And so their heart was involved. They obeyed from the heart, but they, they obeyed the form of doctrine which had been delivered to them. And so there again, you see both of those aspects. They had the heart in it, but they were doing the specifics as well. And we're saying that's what it takes. What does God really want? That's the answer. That's what He wants. Interestingly, by the way, in that same context, just earlier in that same chapter, Romans chapter 6, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Part of that obedience from the heart to the form of doctrine that had been delivered to them included their baptism in water for the remission of sins. A lot of people today would say, that's a specific that doesn't matter. Well, they're wrong about that. It's a specific that does matter. It's obeying from the heart the form of doctrine which has been delivered. And so, in regards to salvation, in application we see you need a sincere heart plus acts of obedience. Real quickly, what about our worship? How would we apply these principles to worship? Uh, well, would we need a reverent spirit in worship? Absolutely yes. There's just no doubt about that. 
But would we need to have our deeds in worship in harmony with the truth? And we'd say, that's absolutely necessary as well. Look at Colossians 3.17, one of our memory verses. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Well, what does giving thanks to God and the Father suggest? Well, that suggests heart involvement, right? That's coming from the heart. But we have to do all. What we do, we have to do by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's both aspects that we've been pointing to. And, of course, you couldn't talk about this without mentioning John 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's your heart. You've got to have the right spirit. But there's the specifics, the deeds. It has to be done in truth. And so, in regards to salvation and worship and whatever else you want to talk about that pertains to our religious service to God, I think we can point out clearly that it takes a balanced approach in which we have a sincere heart, but we also are careful to do God's things in God's ways. Again, I suggest to you that that should not be too surprising of a conclusion. And yet, so many people in the religious world seem to be ignoring the obvious in those regards. Thanks for your attention to what we've had to say. We're going to end the lesson by making an appeal to all who are present this morning to make sure your relationship with God is as it ought to be. You're not yet a Christian. We just talked about what would it take to be saved. Well, you have to believe in God with all your heart and make a commitment to serve Him and then do what He said. Upon hearing and believing, you must repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus Christ, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never done that, we would urge you to make that decision without delay this morning. If you need more study, if you'd like more information, we'd be glad to sit down and study with you. It doesn't take long to understand what He wants you to do. And that's what our lesson was about this morning. What does God really want you to do? Well, He tells you in His Word. If you've never obeyed the Gospel, we hope you will this morning. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, not been faithful to your Lord, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.